And if I look back at my own career, you know, of the four companies I started in the seven books now, the reasons why of the few things that worked of the portfolio of my life, it's because I cared the most. Hey friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. So excited for this podcast episode with David Kidder. Here at Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design a life that you want to live. David is a serial entrepreneur and an author. On this episode, we talk about two of which, one, the startup playbook and his latest book, New to Big, which he co-authored with prior podcast guest, Christina Wallace. David is the co-founder of Bionic, a company that helps Fortune 500 companies with corporate innovation and long-term growth. David is also a startup investor as well. In this episode, you'll learn about creating personal and professional systems for growth, life frameworks that David is suggesting for his kids, what he has learned from some of the most successful founders in the world, and so much more. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which has the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced job opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with David. Uh, David, welcome to the show. Well, I'm very grateful to be here. You have a great name. <laughs> that's it. We're done. Uh, I would say, actually, I don't think I have, I have not done a podcast interview with, a, with anyone named David, I think, in any of my recent memories. So it's great to see another podcaster with the name David. So great to meet you. And we met through a great, wonderful friend, Christina Wallace, who was a co-author of New to Big, and she and I worked with for years. So love her, and she's at Harvard now, and connected us. Yeah, and and that's actually a good way to start, is around kind of gratitude to Christina. Uh, when I uh, started the podcast, people were a little bit were like, what's a portfolio career? And I was like, Christina Wallace wrote this incredible article, and um, you know has influenced and helped shape this 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 idea, this topic. Um, and one of the things when I talked to her, uh, earlier in the journey, uh, she talked about, uh, how new to big was a little bit of like a internal project. Uh, maybe we could kind of start there a little bit of, um, yeah, maybe talk about kind of how new to big came about. Let's do that. Um, there's this incredible statistic that says that 70% of all growth i.e. economic growth, comes from 7% of capital deployed. So if I spend $10, $100 million, doesn't matter, or 10 ideas or 100 ideas, that 7% of that entire effort will generate all the economic returns, all the impact. And you, when you go back to the beginning, you say, well, why did we invest in those things? Why did I, in my career, invest in those things? And that's probably the right question. And because um, what you want to do is more of those things. And the reality most managers or even people be like, well, how come I have to have 93% go to zero to get to the seven, right? And, um, and the answer is, is it's, in, it's inescapable because the, the 93% of the learning, right? And it's the experiments you run, the things you try and the things that uh, the companies you start that don't get off the ground, the ones that you do start that don't work or the relationship or whatever it is you're trying to accomplish and solving a need in the world for yourself or for others. But the, the signals that are really interesting in the beginning of the why do we invest those seven are really two things. One is conviction. And what conviction is, conviction's code for is, is why me and why now, right? Proprietary gift meets outside forces. The things I don't control and the gift that I have. And the second signal is, is 
non-consensus, disagreement, friction, meaning that you make all of the returns from the ideas that have the highest disagreement rate. And that means that inside of yourself or your own team, it means that growth lives in discomfort. Uh, growth lives in challenging yourself, challenging ideas because they're new to you and new to the world. And it's only when it's hard and very often do you discover why you're right and on time and answer the question of why you. So I love the concept of, of a life of a portfolio. I think it's absolutely true. It's inescapable if you want any degree of growth and, um, and it's a great way to think and live your life. And so the, um, in the book was new to big, a little bit of like a spearmint for, for you and Christina uh, as a way to yeah. see where things go. Well, new to big describes that the, the zero to $100 million of new startup growth, whether it happens at a big company or your own, it's like, what do you do? How do you bet your life? And how does it, how does it work out that way? Um, and of course it's not like, entirely our wisdom. It comes from others' wisdom, but also the work we've been doing at Bionic for now eight years. Um, working with some of the largest CEOs in the world who are trying to transform their whole companies to growth cultures. And again, it's how they think, but also what they do. It's like the skill and the mindset at once. And you need a system that does, does that. The same way you, you, we have Six Sigma for efficiency and lean manufacturing to de-risk and it, it controls they, those operate the big to bigger. That's a knowable budgeted future. But new to big is about growth. It's about discovery. It's which is radically different than planning. So for the same reason, we have advanced masters of degrees for administration that exist. There, are, there actually is a form of management that's designed to create growth. And that's venture capital and entrepreneurship. And you can do it. You may not be in the unicorn business, a true disruptor, but if you're trying to grow your business, the way to think and way to work this is systematic and it must become systematic, which is largely why I never use the word like transformation or innovation because there's so much brain damage around it. Those are like initiatives as opposed to like capability, always on, always should have been on, should have never shut off, right? And Jeff Bezos has just pioneered that whole, the whole movement around a day one mindset around the first day is the has the largest energy and permission in the room and how do you maintain that? And I think Bionic has built that model. I saw it was cracked that nut. And the book that Christina and I wrote were really, was really largely about the work of Bionic, the voices of it were our partners and our team. And we got a chance to represent it in the world. Awesome, cool. And, and the idea around, uh, so if we were to take some of these, these frameworks and these lessons around you know, permanent growth or long-term growth. How do you think that an outside returns, how do you think that we could potentially apply that to our career? Well, I mean, the question of how to lead yourself is really important, right? So, you know, I used to hate the word process. You need process. There's a great book called The Slight Edge, which is, it's a little self-helpy, but all, all three of my sons have either read it or are reading it in some form. And it's, it means that we, you know, Growth lives because you create systematic commitments to outcomes, right? And it actually doesn't take a lot of time. It just takes a lot of principle and discipline to do the same thing five minutes a day. You know, making your bed, doing the steps and push-ups, meditating, journaling, writing the list of the big three you're supposed to get done every day, um, saving the $25 a day you should over 30 years that leads to millions of dollars of, 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 of saving. You know, these things are not hard. Um, but they're just hard to do consistently. And so systems help you create the framework. So in growth, um, you know, the growth OS, which is described in a big, is really about five core out 
principles, right? Growth boards that invest in portfolios to capture the 770, right? And then, you know, discover takes strategy that you pay millions of dollars from a company and you create portfolios to actually invest in. Validate, you need special forces for growth. We have a Navy, right? We could take any country in the world, but how do we take beaches before we take countries? Well, the skill of validation entrepreneurship solves for that. And then you need to build. That fourth, third, fourth element is we got to write the first check to the $100 million check. How to grow things up. The fifth piece, growth board, discover, validate, and build. The fifth piece is operate. We got to do growth operations. We need functions so we can go fast. Um, most ideas are born to die. So we should spend millions of dollars on legal to protect something that's not worth protecting. So legal, compliance, regulatory, all these things need to come together and be entrepreneurial, knowing that we're trying to discover a future as opposed to like plan it. Um, that's what's in the OS. On a personal basis, you know, the slight edge describes the value of habit and systematic habit. And so you got to give yourself a structure that you can systematically do that leads to a future that you know is true. I, I did an interview years and years ago um, with, uh, it was there Republic with uh, one of the founders of Imagine Entertainment, you know, Brian Grazier. And he, he talked about um, why he bets his life on things that are inevitable. There's an inevitability to things, right? If I, just, I, I know if I can continue on the compounding path of what I do, the future will be mine. And so setting yourself up like the dog that caught the car, right? Uh, in some things that commit yourself to write the book, to buy the blank or do put yourself in a position where it must become true. And you will learn as we learned this last year about how important tests are to creating focus and optionality and resilience and adaptability. And, you know, when the, you put the fear down and you start thinking about how am I going to solve this? It's amazing how the answers come to you. So all of these are factors in systematically setting yourself up for growth that's inevitable. Mm. So I'm hearing this systematic uh, approach, which sometimes people may think of like boring because it's consistent, but also running experiments and testing and looking for those, you know, bets that could lead to kind of break outside returns. Think of it as systematic is less about it's more on a framework and a mental model, right? And how you think. So you're working within like, I'm going to keep, now it doesn't mean that there's not massive variability and massive flexibility and adaptability inside of that, but you know, I'm doing, it's, just, it's Eric Reese's build, mention, learn as a form of validate, you know, portfolio theory. How do I know what, it, how do I know what to quit and kill, right? Well, when it's commercially true, what does commercially true mean? Well, it can't be re repeatable. Well, on what metric? Is it a single, is, is it a signal, is it, Behavioral is economic, like these are all skills. And so I think that these are things that you need to learn how to do to be able to compound the interest of your energies in, in the world. Um, and they're knowable. It's not like so there's not some mysterious thing out there that's not available to any young entrepreneur. I think the one area that I think is, is, is not yet illuminated, and this is an area that I'm focused on in the, both a book and a podcast around refounding, is what, is it, what, is it, what happens when it doesn't work, which is, almost always, right? <laughs> Lots of tools of which I've contributed my own schlock to like with a startup playbook on how to start, but how do you restart? And restarting is refounding you, yourself, your mindset, your company is nearly an inevitable outcome when you discover that what you have and you are so convinced would work no longer works. It's like your, your startup is becoming less dead or undead, right? You started it, 
Now you're to restart it. You might have to do it again many times to make it all work, to be fortunate enough to get an exit or fortunate enough to actually experience the success you inevitably will receive if you do it well. And what are those, uh, let's say you were talking to that, uh, a founder uh, who, you know, is going through, it needs to pivot or needs to reinvent, re- needs to restart. Uh, what advice are you giving those types of people these days? I, I just did a great interview with, one of the great seed stage investors in the world today, Eric Paleo, founder of Collective, um, three-time ranked number one seed investor in the world. He said, um, as the founder, whether you're capitalizing your own money or on the board, you have to be the adult in the room. You own it. Like, and it, it, that makes sense, but it also means that like, you shouldn't be selling your board. And I've been guilty of this myself. Your job is to bring the truth to the room. And so that's one piece of advice is that, you know, your job is not to convince your investors you're wrong. Your job is to convince the investors that you're thinking in truth and to your team because no one else is going to do it. The board's not going to do it. It's not in a venture company. It's not, it's a different type of accountability. Um, The incentives are off in that regard. Um, The other great piece of advice that I wrote this book called the startup playbook where I interviewed like 40 ish of some of the best entrepreneurs in the world, Elon Musk, Reed Hoffman of LinkedIn fame, wrote the board of the book, Sarah Blakely, Robin Chase, and others, and asked them how they bet their life. And they all said effectively the same five lenses. I've talked about this publicly a lot. But one of the things that was snuck in there was a, a question that when I asked Elon, what's the best advice you ever received? He's like, wishful thinking is the enemy. I think people believe that optimism is resilience. When in fact, like on the pantheon spectrum of like mindsets, on the one hand, being you know, irrationally pessimistic is not going to lead to a good outcome as an entrepreneur, nor is being pathologically optimistic, right? <laughs> it's a liability. Like you have to be the rationalist, the adult, the truth teller, always somewhere in the middle. And so once you start crossing your fingers saying, oh my God, I hope this customer behaves this way and pays on time and the myriad of reasons why you're going to die and have to start the company over, those are the problems you need to solve in the right order. And when it's not true, you need to be able to manage the company towards a successful outcome. And that's your job is a truth teller. Mm-hmm. And the, you mentioned earlier, your kids, um, the, and one of the, one of the things about uh, founders and, and successful companies is like just being a little bit in the right place at the right time, uh, being around in a good market, a growing market, uh, capturing some of like the tailwinds of, of growth that are kind of inherent in the market. What, what are you, uh, I know they're a little bit younger, but what type of career advice are you, are you providing to your, to your kids in the sense of like, you see the market or you see opportunities that they may not see because they don't have as much perspective as you do? Oh boy, this is a big topic. Um, uh, my focus with my, so I don't want to answer this directly because it's, it's the answer will become clear to you when you tell when I, when I sh- I'll tell you how I ra- I'm raising them. And then you, you'll realize that they'll figure this question out for themselves is one is I am not raising excellent sheep. I'm not trying to raise straight A students who get go from the Harvard kindergarten to Harvard college, because that's like programmatic failure in my mind. They can't be a lawyer. They can't be a banker, despite having great friends or great lawyers and bankers, because reality is, is that it, they're very rare, right? It's possible. And I have friends that do that, but it's very rare. But more importantly, in my mindset, I'm not a, a zero-sum thinker, and I think a, a zero-sum life is a difficult life because you have to win and versus someone lose karmically. 
a non-zero life is an abundant life where you can really look at opportunity that has not been created and where it can be captured where everybody wins. And that's where growth lives. And so I want them to lead a life of growth. So how they think, the lenses they view the world through matter a lot. So at a, at a discipline level, um, I have this thing called my own like operating system for the kids. They're kid and so the way that they lead themselves each day, even though they're 13 and 15, I have a 10 year old matters, right? So the habit of waking up and writing a very simple five minute journal, like what are my big, what are my big three things I'm grateful for? And what are the big three things that I think if I look back at the other day, I'll be proud of myself in doing, and that could be a task or not. And then be able to close the day with that same little journal that they do in their phones. It says, what are, the, what are the three things that amazed me today, right? And again, what am I thankful for, God and the universe? If they get those bookends right, it, the day kind of ma- matters, but doesn't matter because what you don't want to find is that you're drifting. Like you don't know where you are. And if you do that simple journal, you'll realize if you are following in the right need in the world that you deeply care about, yeah, you're going to go through weeks where you're going to drift and you'll be like, where am I going? But reality, if you look at it and stare down your progress, you're making progress every single day, but you don't control it all. And that, that five-minute journal teaches that. What's in the middle of the five-minute journal is, I use this app called Productive, is just a series of very straightforward, simple habits that they have to create themselves. They make their beds. They do a, just a handful of steps and push-ups. They do their journal. They brush their teeth. It's like a checklist manifesto. So they, they know good, dad or, good day or bad day, they're learning to save, right? They're using Acorns app. That's happening. They're just automating these habits out of life. And they can say, you know, no matter what, I'm moving forward. And I mentioned this, this inevitability that, that their inevitability is making and getting there. Um, it doesn't take a lot, actually. It just, it's the compounding of that habit that it lead, you know, over decades that lead to these extraordinary outcomes. So that I teach them that, but, but I think what those are more are systems. So when they fail, I don't, in, I don't indict them. You're going to be successful. You're going to fail. You're a good, pass, good person. You're a bad person. Just like, what don't you like about the outcome? Okay, well, let's go back to the system. Why did we get a bad you know, score in chemistry? Well, it turns out I made a choice two nights before to not go to bed on time. I woke up tired. I st- it's all these knockout effects. Right. I, I, I blew through my social media budget. So I, I kind of control how much time I spend on things. Great. Awesome. Uh, let's fix that. I kept my laptop on. Dad, you forgot to turn the, turn the internet off at night at 10 p.m., which I do. Right. I watched a Netflix too late. These are all factors they control. And the point is, can they trace them back and hold themselves accountable to that? And, but not through judgment, but through ownership. Um, And so I don't blame the person or them, even when the failure is bad, I look at the system and have them own the system. So they can walk out the front door, which my dad told me when I was 18 and said, um, don't come back. And he may said that in a loving way because my dad's a sweet apostle-like guy, but he's basically said, you own your life. Don't blame your parents. And I just am not going to allow them to do that. I'm just starting young. So systems, mindset, but I'll share this last thing. I know I'm talking too much, which is... um, I think their secret to the happiness of their life is really to discover need they care most deeply about. Not their passion, not their hobby. What must they solve? And then asking the question, why me? What is my gift? What's my proprietary gift? Given 10,000 hours, if I could become a one-on-one person in the world to solve that, when every 10 hours feels like one hour and I'm in my giftedness, 
it really doesn't matter if the money comes or not. It doesn't matter where you are, what seat the rocket ship you're on or off. You're, you're, follow, you're doing the next right thing into your purpose every day for a very long period of time. And that's where, this, that's where the joy comes from. It, it's not getting to the top and you realize there's nothing there and you sell your company, make a little money and all of a sudden you want to start over again. It's the journey. It's who they're becoming and how they're answering the question about themselves. And so this is really fascinating because, um, you know, as a, um, an entrepreneur and, and an investor and stuff like your perspective here is really, really interesting where, you know, that uh, sometimes is glorified in the media of, you know, the, the on top of the world entrepreneur. Uh, but you're, but I, what I'm hearing is more of it's the journey and it's what uh, drives the person and what, where they drive satisfaction and not uh, external kind of vanity metrics. I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I know a lot of people who are incredibly successful and deeply unhappy, really unhappy. And um, I know people have nothing and are super joyful. I think they get it right. I think they recognize that, you know, there is the root of all evil in these outcomes and people have contempt about success or no success. The root of evil to me is what is underneath it all, right? And so the, the, contract, the structure, mental model I hold is like our reality, how we live our lives is just a function of our choices. But our choices really aren't choices, they're actually intentions. Mm-hmm. I intentionally, intentionally choose my life, right? Big or small, they compound. The question is, is why? Why do I intentionally make this choice that I own that creates my life? And it's, if you think of your life as here to teach you lessons of who you're becoming, then you, you must answer the question why. Because if you don't answer the question why, you'll walk through the world as a performance dope addict, you know, with the, with the not even knowing your intentions, the life you don't want. And what you won't discover is that what's underneath the why, once you know it, is only one of two choices. And that is love or fear. And from 99% of all people, they, make their, they live their life through the lens of fear. And their life ultimately reflects it, which is why getting to the top and all these things are just completely dissatisfied. And they start digging the same hole to bury themselves under. So I think when I think, when I have a conversation with my sons about how to develop self-awareness and habits that create a whole person, they're real. What I'm really trying to get is, is to get to the intention for them to ask why, so they can answer. And what, where is this, the origin of my decisions coming from? And they, we talk about it. 10, 12, 13 is, am I doing this for love or fear? What an important question to ask before you spend a decade of your life doing something to make yourself quote unquote successful that you hate or the money you, you know, like whatever it is. It's just that, that to me is getting, getting fatherhood right. And uh, hopefully I get a shot at doing it. I got a couple of years left. <laughs> and and uh, you spoke about this, uh, the intention and kind of the choices. Uh, are you able to share maybe some um, choices that you've made or decisions that you made that have really uh, helped you make you become who you are today? Yeah, I have a, I have a lot. I mean, there, there's, I mean, there's, there's so many like practical things, right? About, you know, start, stop, continue. Um, I've, I, I, as a CEO, I've chosen to be vulnerable. I've chosen for good people, chosen to, you know, give up aspects of leadership that I like to do, but also may not be the best doing getting, putting myself in a box, smaller box, 
But I, I think one of the more courageous decisions sometimes is to start over, is to re-up. And I've gone through, I've had, this, will be my, this is my fourth company. I've had three exits, two worked, one didn't. I've made a lot of investing over the years and done. So, I've, I mean, this is my work. I love what I do, but it also comes with some really terrifying moments of brokenness, right? And you have to have the ability to start over, which feels hopelessly naive sometimes. And if you come from fear, you're kind of like, well, maybe I'm not any good at this. I should quit. I should go get a job. I should, you know, this isn't working. I'm, I'm doing the work, but there's no outcome, right? But when you're very principled about how you've organized your time, energy, and your purpose, the inevitability, if you do the work, will actually play out given enough time. And But when it doesn't work and you go through catastrophic failure and you got to start over, that's the hardest part. So here, I'll give you a quick story of intention, which is I had this moment where um, I kind of had, had to start over. And I imagined myself, this is the mental model, running down this road, like it was like these thorns. And I was just, I, the harder I ran, the harder the path was, the thicker the thorns were, and the more and the faster I was bleeding out, right? Metaphorically speaking. I realized like I, I, I where my headspace was and I was doing, I just, I, I had to stop. Otherwise I was going to die. Like I physically, mm. literally it's stressful. So I had this mental model where it's like, I'm going to lift myself out of this road up and onto a clean road, a new road in my mind, but I'm going to start over when I was 20, which was like, felt so weird because I was thinking of quitting. I was like, I'm going to go get, I'm going to stop being a founder and see, I'm going to go, you know, just go, I'm not good at this, but actually it was like, wait, you know, actually I just need to get better. And I am good at this, but I, I got to start over. So I was like, my mental model was, I really came back with the same level of re-upping on my, the optimism of what was possible for the future. Because the truth is, it's all possible. It still is. <laughs> it's just that I stopped believing it and or would stop, look, I stopped asking for it because of the bleeding out. And I think it was a, one of the most remarkable moments of my life was to really begin again and recommit with the same level of conviction and belief about the, and my hope for the future as if I was 20 except by my advantage was I was so much wiser. And so I, I, it's like a moment of like cynicism and defeat versus renewal and optimism and growth. And it shaped, shaped everything. Um, and there's a lot more to this. I mean, there's so many other much more, more profound moments around it, but I think that, that that one or zero intentional decision, which was not easy to do actually uh, changed everything. Mm. Powerful. Thanks for sharing that, David. Um, poof. You really took us to that moment. <laughs> well, I think everybody goes through it. Um, it's just a lot easier to quit. Um, doesn't mean you need, to make, you need to keep doing the same thing you're doing. But it's not the job and it's not the, the my business didn't work. You're quitting on yourself. Mm. That's the mistake. Don't do that. Yeah. And now this, this, the work with re, around re, working with leaders on reinvention and stuff is empowering them to kind of see that, that blind spot that they may have. Yeah. I mean, the, the, what's interesting is that when I, when I started Bionic with my co-founder Ann Berkowitz and Rick Smith, it was like the purpose of the company was to, we wrote this, was to ignite growth revolutions. And I thought about that in the context of like money and startups and all the stuff that we do. But the truth is, it's, it's 
it's a question about the interior life of the leader. That's where the revolution is. So in a way, as you know, this is a startup founder, but also as a, a company leader, the company is here to teach you something because it's a direct reflection of you. The company's permission is your permission for it to learn, for it to speak truth, for it to set down old truths, for it to experiment, for it to go on offense, for it, for it, to, for it to fail, to forgive itself. All these attributes are really about the leader. And so when the company doesn't learn and doesn't fail and doesn't tell the truth and is not growing and you know, is, is, is culturally full of contempt, that is, a, in my view, a one-to-one -one reflection of the leader and the leadership mm -hmm. team. And when it's failing, that's because the leader's view of the world is failing. So I, I don't, certainly don't walk in the room and say that, but it's more of something they need to learn about themselves in, in an empowering way because they can change it radically and quickly. Stories travel fast, man. And when you start mm -hmm. behaving and thinking differently and asking different questions and show up differently in a way that can be systematically go as a bone drill into the company, you can change anything. And I, I, lo I love that work. Mm. And it also goes for somebody's career, right? Taking ownership of their portfolio career, uh, of the choices, the skills that they develop, the community that and communities that they and the people that they surround themselves with, the output, uh, maybe blog posts or tweets or podcast episodes, videos, et cetera. Yeah, I I I think up to a point. I think what the great revelation for me in the last year and a half is just about the role of access and privilege, right? I didn't I didn't come from any means, but still I have a lot of advantage and access that I've been afforded that, you know, my BIPOC friends at Bionic and others has not, have not had. Um, and so I think up to a point, yes, but also no, <laughs> because the systems and the culture and the, the historical grain genetic biases are, are in place where, you know, no matter how good you are systematically with your for a five minute journal and the mindset stuff, you're still against something that's greater, a force is greater than you until that force needs to change. And so, the reality is that we all contribute to that force. And so how can we contribute to it, the change in it so that that advantage is accrued equally? And I think a lot about that in the DEI efforts at Bionic, how we extend that into our partners, how, how I live that in my own life with my sons and how I can affect it in the world and, and resetting that starting line in any way I can. Um, and so there's great opportunity to do that. And you know, COVID has also revealed like, this is not a shared experience right? We don't, have, I mean, my friends down the street from you who are amazing black entrepreneurs in neighborhoods where, you know, COVID and access and pandemic have just been asymmetrically negatively hit vis-a-vis -vis my friends who are not black or not of color. And so these things are things I just think are, are things meant to go to the intention. I think we can intentionally address in the work of our own intentional growth. But with the complete and total self-awareness that you have a lot of power in your seat at the table, at the top, in the machine, right? A lot. And you could do a lot and it doesn't take long. Okay. And the, um, going back to like the startup of a person, um, what other types of mental models or frameworks or things that we, could we apply there? Well, I, I have talked about this publicly many, many times before, but it's worth 
restating for those in the audience who have not heard this before, but I wrote this book a decade ago called The Startup Playbook. Um, I mentioned some of the people in it um, before, but amazing entrepreneurs with amazing stories who all bet their life and had various degrees of outcome. Some, you know, literally the, the richest people in the world today and some journey people like myself. But um, the, the idea is, is that that's the synthesis of this that I wrote in a single flight back from San Francisco after doing this for like 300 hours over a year was in the introduction, which was this idea of the five lenses. And what they all said in their own words, but basically the same thing is when an idea or a solution, the world you deeply care about passes through these five lenses of execution and thinking this mental model, you described it, it usually works to extraordinary effect. And then the five lenses were, Basically this, the first one is proprietary gift. Why you? You really need to have a secret and you need to be born to do it, which is why you have to care the most. And if I look back at my own career, you know, of the four companies I started and the seven books now, the reasons why of the few things that worked of the portfolio of my life, it's because I cared the most. Whenever I chased white space and did it for reasons of shame or performance, it never worked. It just didn't because I didn't care enough. So the first is proprietary gift. The second is extreme focus. The more things you do, the more optionality you have, the more probable you will fail because it takes all of your focus and all your resources. And the question is, what do you focus on? So you gotta be very good at experimenting and getting to the truth in your portfolio bets to so find the one that's true about you so you can focus on it, which leads to the third thing, which is you gotta make something that's a painkiller, not a vitamin. Vitamins are awesome, but they're not painkillers. You try them once, you set them down. Painkillers solve the question of, Who's the customer who's rich and in pain that I have a solution that they use indefinitely? So painkillers is where you want to focus. The, four, the third lens, the fourth lens is the 10X factor. What element of your solution, given enough time and resources, that if you focus on it would become impossible to replicate? And the last is, is because if you do that well, proprietary gift with a extreme focus, that's a painkiller that has a 10X factor, you'll become permanent. But permanent doesn't happen by accident. It happens because of intention. So all those lenses of mental models with your own operating system, right? How you look at yourself and the ability to reset help bring together a stream of, uh, of, of who you're becoming that allow you to achieve the inevitable. So hopefully this brings you full circle that you've very elegantly navigated <laughs> towards how important it is how you think. It's not accidental. <laughs> it's not accidental. It's, 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 it's really the construct of your mind that ultimately leads to these outcomes. Amazing. Um, well, David, as we're starting to wrap up here, um, is there one micro action that you would recommend for more people to do, whether that's, you know, the, the journal that you talked about or, um, you know, setting up a better system. Is there anything else that you just said, you know what, I just, more people would do this one thing. Um, can be anything, but. You no, know, I, I think, I mean, I mentioned the wishful thinking is the enemy thing uh, before. Um, I would ask really hard questions right now. Uh, I think it's a great moment to refound your life. I think it's a great movie opportunity to reset your life, to get to the truth. I, I wrote a piece on LinkedIn called um, the next right thing into your purpose. And this might be something we link together on the, on the podcast notes. And it talks about like the boundaries of what we control, we, we don't control, the uncontrollable has gotten really small, right? We don't control a lot. 
And if you did, you thought you did, you don't. <laughs> and also what you know and you don't know has also gotten smaller, right? And so these boxes that we live in are actually quite tiny right now. And what's in them is kind of like the choices of our life in our work, our relationships, personally, professional, otherwise. And I think if you are staring in that box and you're like, wow, I know and control a lot less than I thought I did. It's because you never did. But what you do have in there, you own, right? And if you don't like it, you need to change it. You need to really ask hard questions. Don't waste this moment to not stare down the truth. And then intentionally uncross your wishful thinking is the enemy, you know, fingers and go work on it work on it, work on how you think, work on who you're becoming, get, get it right. I think you have a chance to get it right. You'll have to come up with your own best wisdom, your best mental models, but don't waste this chance. And I think stare down that box, make it beautiful. Yeah. From, from the love, as opposed to fear, uh, as you mentioned earlier. hundred percent, hundred percent. And how can, um, you mentioned the LinkedIn article, I mentioned a couple other things, but what's the best way for people to stay in touch and continue to learn from you, David? So um, I, there lot, I mean, the, the one, so David S. Kidder, S. and Steve, D-A-V-I-D-S-K-I-D-D-E-R across like every platform is you can find me, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, blah, 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 whatever. LinkedIn is where I do public facing writing. It's kind of, I'm pretty public anyways in that regard. You can find me on our webs, my website, davidskidder.com. I think the most important work is Bionic, on bionic.com, O-N-B-I-O-N-I-C.com. And you can find new to big there but also just the work that we do to transform large organizations, uh, not just at the soul level, but it does actually work and billions come out of it and all the things that they desire, but it really creates the permission to do the work on the interior life that is uh, the work we love. So those are the places and I hope we, you follow and, and the conversation and engage in it and I will too. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. David, very grateful. Hey friend, thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much. 